Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, Australia, and welcome to My Millennial Property. Emily Wallace here with John Pigeon, and this is part one of a three-part series. I turned to John this morning and I said, John, it has been a long time since we've actually spoken about the buying process step-by-step. We're a property podcast, but sometimes we pull things out and we're just talking about particular topics. But this is a series that I think you'll all find very beneficial if you're starting to look for a property, whether it be investment or your own home. Absolutely. And I think breaking it down to the basics is really important. So for first-time buyers, that's going to be critical for you to tune in, but also for advanced buyers coming around second or third time, you're just reinforcing that you're doing the right thing. Indeed. So let's get into it. So John, part one, we're focusing on the part of the puzzle that is before you actually go and look for properties. We're talking about before you buy. So at a very basic level, what are we looking at before we even go into open homes? Yeah, look, regardless of whether it's owner-occupier or it's investment, um, and we'll talk about both throughout the three-part series, we need to understand that we've got a level of savings there or have had a savings in plan in place previously that's enabled us to have enough money to then go and purchase something that might be within our uh, reason. So we'll elaborate on that more, but we, we, I suppose we're presuming that that's the case. We're also presuming that mindset-wise... Our head is in a position where we want to go and buy property. It's none of that, oh, should I or should I not? We've already made the decision, yes, it's going to be property. Um, And we'd also assume that we'd have buffers in place in our life and our insurances in place in our life or be in the process of getting that sorted. Indeed. Now, if you're listening to this going, oh my gosh, I am so not at at that stage yet, I'm getting there then I would strongly suggest going to My Millennial Money, which is the main show we've referred to it as that Glenn and John host. And there's quite a few episodes that talk about building a sound financial house and the foundations of what that looks like to be in a position where you can go and buy a property or invest or whatever it might be. So if this is a bit too soon, maybe press pause Mm. and come back. But if you're nodding going, yep, I actually, I've already been a long time listener. I've got my savings in place. I'm looking at insurances and I'm in a position to buy, then keep listening. Yeah, absolutely. And and maybe not turn off altogether because it's good to have some focus to know what we need to do in advance, isn't it? True. Rather than just know what, what's happening tomorrow. But when we talk buffers, yeah, we want ideally two to three months worth of cost to exist um, over that period. And then obviously insurances, that's a specialty area for, for different parts based on your occupation and your assets and and uh, your, your profile in your life. Indeed. So probably one of the most vital team members to have on board when you're thinking about getting ready to buy a home is having a 
mortgage broker. Now, we often touch on this and we have spoken about it many a time on previous episodes about the value of having a mortgage broker in place who will help um, understand your borrowing capacity. But possibly before you even reach the point of inquiring with a mortgage broker, I think there's also this idea of, as you touched on the mindset of buying, to be prepared when you go to that meeting with a mortgage broker, you're very clear on what it is you're seeking, mm. what your plan is, and so they can help you in the best way possible. Yeah, it's right. And and it may be a selection process to choose the right mortgage broker. Mm. And, and I think a lot of people don't really understand what's required of a mortgage broker because if it is your first time, we haven't been through this before to know what's going to be right for us. So let, let's maybe talk a little bit about who might be a good fit for you. And, and uh, like someone came to me last week and said, oh, I've gone to an online calculator. It, it says I can borrow 600000 Well, scrap that. Mm-hmm. Um, we need someone that really analyzes your situation, your occupation, your industry, uh, the deposit that you might have, your serviceability based on your income and expenses and any loans you've already got, uh, and then the loan-to-value ratio that you come in at. So there's so many variables for you as a person uh, more so than just an online calculator that gives you a figure and is basically clickbait for something else. So true. There's a lot of online calculators out there that people, I think, rely on, which they definitely shouldn't. You need a human to assess what's going on. But uh, in the mortgage broking space, there's actually a lot of specialists now. Like I've come across a broker who only does loans for lawyers. He's known as the lawyer mortgage broker, which is crazy that someone can niche down that far. And there's one who does loans for tradies. But I think fundamentally the biggest thing, particularly when you're talking about your personal finances, is that you feel comfortable sharing that information with that person. Because not everybody is comfortable talking about money all the time uh, or they're apprehensive for someone to know where they are financially. So someone that you trust is really, really key. Yeah, totally. And a lot of that's word of mouth. Like we we obviously talk about brokers that we recommend on the show. Um, Doesn't mean you need to use those, but you may have had uh, a friend or family member that's experienced a good mortgage broker in their life and that's also a common reference point but I I don't know about you Emily but when I'm choosing a team of people no matter what I suppose specialty they have a lot of it's a gut feel for me can I relate to this person can I pick up the phone comfortably Um, are they giving me any roadblocks that's going to stop the communication process and I think that's just as important as yeah I'm a specialty uh, broker in in the uh, medical field, for example. Yes, that's very true. And I think also understanding along the way of that pre-approval process and even once you've found the property, who will be your main point of contact? Like is the main broker just doing the first meeting and then handing over to the team or what does that look like? Understand their systems and processes so you know what to expect. Yep, totally. Okay, so fast forward, we've chosen our mortgage broker. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not assuming that they're going straight to a, bro- a bank. We're, we're using a mortgage broker to shortlist a number of lenders that's going to be suitable for our situation. And they're going to give us some sort of borrowing capacity. They're going to say, right, you can lend 500000 You've got a $100,000 uh, $100, deposit and We've got to include stamps in there, maybe or maybe not. We can play around with those variables. They'll talk about loan-to-value ratio. Do you want a 10% or 20% deposit? Again, depending on whether you're owner rock or, or investment. Uh, now we've got an indicative figure that we can look at from a what will that get me point of view, right? Will it get me a two-bedroom unit in this location? Do I even know my location? Do I even know my strategy? But it's a 
pin in the ground to say, right, I know how much I can lend thereabouts. These are going to be my repayments. Now I can move forward. Definitely. One thing that pops up a lot, particularly in the My Millennial Money Facebook group, is a lot of uh, our community members do talk about the fact of borrowing capacity versus their actual budget. So sometimes they know they can lend a lot more or be lent a lot more money than what they're actually going forward for. And I think at the end of the day, it fundamentally comes down to what you're comfortable with. What I would suggest in that pre-approval process is it can't hurt to go forward for your maximum on pre-approval and spend less. It does confuse me a little bit when people only go for a certain price point, but they can go for more. Mm. Like it doesn't, you'd have to spend all of it. But if you found a property that was, you know, 20000 more than what you approved for, you'd want to have the buffer there to make sure that you could accommodate it. Yeah, Do totally. Agree? Yeah, absolutely. It amuses me that uh, they've spoken to a mortgage broker and the mortgage broker's asking what we need to apply for. Okay, we'll just apply for the max. <laughs> we know that we're disciplined individuals to not go and spend that. As you said, we know our repayments based on that loan amount and away we go. Indeed. So at this point is probably where we split off to say owner rock or investment and, and you in your mind listening will probably know which one that may be or you may not, but that's okay. Um, let, let's run with it. So we definitely, if you're engaging a buyer's agent, uh, a lot of buyer's agents will want you to have a pre-approval, right? For me personally, and, and you may be different, Emily, but um, I, I don't necessarily want a pre-approval in place, but I want to know that we've got a firm borrowing capacity and the pre-approval is pending and in, in the system ready to go. Um, because my, in my thinking, once the pre-approval hits, there's 90 days generally that you'll have that pre-approval f- for before you have to then reapply. Um, but also understanding their goals and, under- and, and knowing that their, their lending or their incomes nothing's going to change to be a detriment to them after that 90-day period. That's fair. We will take clients on board who have lodged for pre-approval, conditional pre-approval, yep. but our service agreement is 90 days. So ideally, they get their pre-approval when they start with us and we try not to renew where possible. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. And, and and we're the same, but yeah, I think... Um, Generally speaking, um, we don't want to go and start our search if we haven't got a pre-approval in place is, is what Agreed. we're both agreeing on. Yes. Um, so we need to have that pre-approval with that one lender. So you might have had it shortlisted by your broker. You might have three options there and you've gone and chosen one. You've got that pre-approval ready to go. It's going to last 90 days and away we go. Indeed. So pre-approval is now officially in hand. And this is kind of where John and I uh, go our, our separate opinions or our separate ways in that if you are a first-time listener, you may not know this, but John is very much focused in the investment space and he provides uh, property investment advice and helps people secure investment properties, whereas I myself, we strictly buy first and family homes for people. So we're at opposite ends of what we buy. The principles are uh, fundamentally the same in how you go about securing a property but different elements come into play when we start to now think about strategy. And there's probably a lot more strategy involved in the investment side of things, I would say. Yeah, and, and I think just to touch on that, our, our strategy, or we use an eight-point strategy that we need answers to. And one of those is definitely location. So when you're an owner-occupier, 
probably coming into the conversation with your mortgage broker, you've got a fair idea as to where that location might be because you know where you want to live. Whereas as an investor, you might be having a conversation with a, a broker saying, well, here's my borrowing capacity. Not sure where we're going to invest yet, but either I'll find that out myself or I'll outsource it to a buyer's agent. And that's that little bit of time that we need to, to um, present some research to the client so that it doesn't eat too far into that pre-approval process. Definitely. I think let's take a break, but when we come back, I would love to talk through that eight-point strategy because I think that's really important, those key items. And then I might touch on as well what you should consider as a home buyer to have on your list of things before you even enter an open home. So we'll be back in just a moment. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, John, I assume because you talk about these eight points frequently, you know them off the top of your head, but (laughs) he's got nothing in front of him, by the way. So I'd be very impressed if you can reel them all off, but let's go for it. Let's do it. So the overall strategy is the first point. And and I think I want to say the eight points are just as equal as each other. So we can't have location is the only point and then say, right, we'll just go and buy anything in that location. We've um, we've got to treat them all equally, but then bind them together to create a personalised outcome. So if you're doing all this yourself, keep these eight points in mind. So the first one is strategy. So what is it that we want to achieve out of this purchase? Is it is it capital growth? Is it cash flow? Is it some tax benefits? Is it a combination of all three? How heavily do we weight those ones? Um, and, and understand what our number one strategy is and go in hard with that and don't alter that through that process. Um, the second one is 
class of property. So when we say class of property, what we're referring to there is we might have a blue chip pr- purchase, which is say an, uh, a class A, uh, which is generally the best part of town and generally is a high price point, lower yield, right? But they're good performers, they're consistent over time. Class B might be your sort of meat and potatoes, like your, your middle class suburbs at a, a reasonable price point, but also come with a reasonable yield as well. So it might be something that's maybe neutrally geared in this um, climate. And then the class three is more that uh, sexy stuff. So that add value, reno flip or um, subdivision or mini development type um, scenario. So understanding A, B and C, and you could create your own A, B and C, but I think generally speaking, we want one of those uh, three and then again stick tight to whichever class you choose there and you may be forced to do one or the other. For example, not a lot of people might have the money to go straight into a blue chip property, although we all love blue chip property because they're the great performers for us. Um, conversely, we might not have the mindset or the experience to go straight to a class C, which is your add value or uh, renovation, mini development, etc. So that's two. Um, third one is type of property. And again, in not any particular order, we may not have answers to all these straight away. But generally speaking, do we want a house? Do we want a unit? Do we want a townhouse? Uh, what's going to be a better performer over time? And we may not find the answer to that till we've got the location, which is the fourth one. Where are, we, where are we buying around the country that's going to A, suit our mindset, B, suit our research, um, and, and C, understand that we're not going to be kept up at night because it's over the other side of the country, right, and it, and it fits our price point. Uh, the next one is loan-to-value ratio. Now, you've probably already got that sorted. Might be 5%, might be 10%, might be 20%, depending on uh, your risk profile, the number of ca- uh, amount of cash you've got and the loan that you can handle as that investment property. Uh, the fifth one Fifth one? Sixth one is, uh, <laughs> is yield. So this is a real important one and I think a lot might focus on the overall strategy. It's like, well, I want capital growth, right? As long as this thing goes up in value, fantastic. But they do disrespect the yield in a lot of cases. So that gross yield, which a quick calculation, rent per week times by 52 weeks in the year, divided about by our purchase price times by 100 to get a percentage. So what yield are we comfortable with to know that it's going to suit our lifestyle but also suit our overall strategy, okay? So cash flow is king a lot of the time. Um, And we want to know our price. Again, we might already have an indicative figure of that based on our borrowing capacity. But as you touched on before, Emily, the broker or the bank might say, we'll lend you a million dollars. Doesn't mean we need to go and spend it. So what are we comfortable with uh, as, a, as a mindset thing to spend? And that might be 600 instead of a million. And what will that get us in the location that we choose? And then finally, uh, the, the buying entity. So is it going to be in our own name? Is it going to be in a, a unit trust, for example? Is it going to be in a company? That's a conversation that we would have with our accountant. Um, again, coming back to what the overall strategy is, uh, before that's um, that's clearly answered. But, um, yeah, can you see what I mean by how do we answer one if we haven't got the yeah, other? Like You really can't. So you really need to understand, right, high level, what are the ones we can answer straight away? And then let's start to down, or I suppose, shortlist all the others based on our research. 
Yeah, and it just talking through all those points and me nodding along, it just reiterates how much actually goes into the strategy of an investment purchase. It does concern me sometimes when, and it's common, people go for their first investment property and they go, well, you know, the suburb I live in is great. I want to be able to drive past the front door and check on the tenants and if anything goes wrong, I'm nearby. And they zone themselves just such a small market when there are so many factors that go into picking not only the right location, the right property type, the right strategy. So there's a lot that goes into it other than, you know, the place looks nice and it's nearby. Yeah, totally. And and from a buyer's agent point of view, our I suppose our approach is very different to a lot of buyer's agents. A lot of buyer's agents will purely focus on an, an area or a suburb yes. or a, a region, okay? We're actually quite the opposite because we, well, me personally, I want to take a holistic approach to investing. So why am I limiting myself just to one area when there's so many more opportunities potentially out there? So we we scatter ourselves right across Australia and well, majority of them that are worthwhile, I suppose, and then shortlist it to suit the client strategy, not the location to suit the client, if that makes sense. Definitely. And I've always said you have to treat the investing market as Australia as a whole. I mean, what a great thing that you can choose from so many areas. I can't imagine just zoning yourself to one state or, you know, one major capital city. You really have to have the benefit of the whole of the country and then micro down into what suits. Yeah, and, and so many come to us to say, well, this is the strategy that I've created or been given. Um, I'm looking at using these this company as a buyer's agent, um, but the product is new, right? It's it's maybe house and land or it's off-the-plan apartment, etc. So, yeah, that's great. We, we can do that too, but it's only one part of the options available to us. And we know that 90% of all products out there available to us are actually existing stock. Mm. So we're eliminating 90% of the market just by going new. Now, new might be okay, and I've done that hundreds of times, but it's it's only one portion. It would definitely be a red flag if a buyer's agent was only offering you new properties, 100%. FYI. <laughs> FYI. <laughs> so on the uh, home buying side, I would say it's less strategic in that you wouldn't necessarily need to look at all of those eight points given some of the very investment directed. But the most common thing, and if you have started the journey, you will know this, the most common thing that pops up for buyers is where is the compromise? Because unless you have an endless budget, you will never be able to secure a property that ticks every single box unless you're able to buy land in the exact location that you want and mm. you can build exactly what you want, which yeah, doesn't happen un- very unlimited often. Unlimited budget. Exactly. <laughs> so what I often find, particularly with first home buyers, is there's this conversation of accommodation versus location. So what does the house offer me in terms of bedrooms, bathrooms, living space? But on the flip side, what does my lifestyle look like in that location? Would I take a smaller property to be closer to the beach? Or will I go a little bit further out where my where my budget buys me a larger home that I can be in for a, a long period of time rather than a stepping stone property? Mm. It's an interesting one and, and, and we talk about it all the time, don't we? It's like location over over asset because um, you're, you're an investor yourself. Do you, do you put your investment hat on when you're, you're talking to them because they're coming in reasonably emotional because they've got to live in it? So do you say, well, 
personally, I would go further out and get a bigger dwelling or or do you just say, look, what do you want and we'll go and find that sort of thing? Sometimes I do. Actually, some listeners of the podcast just, um, we went through the process with them of, of buying their first home. Actually, they're clients of yours as well. They bought an investment property with you in Bendigo. Yes. And now they've just come to me in Melbourne to buy something to live in. I know who they are. You know who they are. Lovely people. Shout out to NNL, we'll say. NNL. NNL. <laughs> now, NNL... They had a choice between two properties. In my opinion, one was in an inferior location Mm -hmm. but provided somewhat of the same accommodation, right? It wasn't near a train station, which is a big tick box in Melbourne to be near public transport for a lot of people. But it was ready to go, had been renovated. The one we actually ended up putting the letter of intent on and it's under offer at the moment was three streets back from a train station and a main shopping strip It probably had a similar footprint internally. However, it had the opportunity to convert part of the garage into a studio, which was very key for them to have another space. And it's actually got value-add potential because it is a renovator, really. Like, it's a facelift renovation. Now, in that situation, they did ask me, you know, on location, both are roughly the same accommodation. What what do we look for here? What postcode do we want to be in? Mm. And sometimes it is a matter of a postcode can make a difference and only neighbouring or even two suburbs apart. Yes. So you do need to consider that. And I think it comes back to fundamentally, what is the goal of this property? Is it a short-term stepping stone, make as much equity in it as we can and move on? Mm. Or is it, let's really think about the future and buy for the next 15 years where the accommodation might come into play more so than the location. Yeah. Okay. So we're honing in out of those eight points, we're really honing in on type of property and location, aren't we? Yes. Because similar, uh, and and I may be incorrect here, but the, the, the first option that you mentioned is already renovated. Mm. That comes at a higher price point, but it, it might be in an inferior location. I don't know. The other one is a, an add value potential in maybe a better location, right? I'd be the second option every yeah. day of the week for, with with an investment hat. But a lot of owner occupiers don't want the hassle of having to go through that, do they? Exactly. And it was just lucky that these guys were happy to to put the work in, and I think they'll have an awesome return on it. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of, and this is one thing to be very careful of, which we'll get into in part two, but what you look at at open homes and what you get caught up in. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's good. Okay. So we appreciate that Owner Rock comes with a lot more, I suppose, client involvement, emotional involvement, and the the thinking of, well, we're probably going to be living here, even if it's a, an upsizer to, to something bigger later on, we're still wanting maybe three to five years out of this. So we've got to understand where do we want to live and, and can we put up with this dwelling? Um, and we may be thinking like school zones, if we're having kids in that time, as so many factors that go into it that are more emotional, aren't they? Oh, definitely. And it's it's uh, crazy the points of interest that some clients have had to have for a location, but that's their personal choice. You know, if they want to be X distance to the school or work or family, family's a big one as well, proximity to having help on board if they do have kids, yes. that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's a, per- it's a lot more emotional and personal choice when it comes to the location of where you're going to actually live. Yeah. I must say, though, when you talk about what you're finding for clients and what, what they need, a lot of what they need, even though they're emotional, they are key indicators for what we look for in growth in 
locations for investments anyway. Of course. Right? You look, you look at things like um, infrastructure, like access to trains or trams in Melbourne. You look at school zones. You look at parks and gardens. You look at walkability. You look at um, supply and demand and, and close to family. Well, if my family has been in this area and upgraded themselves 20 years ago, mm. generally speaking, they're already in a well structured area that's uh, that's pretty tightly held. Indeed. And it's funny the crossover, isn't it, between both sides of the fence of, mm. of property. But yeah, potentially, you know, when you're an investor going to sell out, you want to attract emotional home buyers. Yes. I mean, I never want someone to overpay, but of no. course, they're always going to have an emotional price tag attached to something that, that suits everything. Yeah, absolutely. And just sort of off topic, but on topic, um, the most common type of buyer in Australia is an upsizer. So someone that started here, they want to upsize to there. It's going to cost more, but they've built their family or, or they need larger requirements or, or better lifestyle, whatever that may be. That's the most common type of buyer, followed by the uh, first home buyer and then followed by the investor. And the investor and first home buyer, that, I suppose, differs depending on the time and the climate of the market. Yes. Um, and they're talking about, okay, investors are dropping off because interest rates are rising. Well, personally, we're not seeing that on the ground, but understand that investors aren't the number one uh, reason for why people buy. Agree. Mm. There's a whole ecosystem at play there. There is. Absolutely, there is. Yeah, so... So in summary of looking at before you actually go and look at properties, so before you buy, yes. this part one of the three-part series, which hopefully you'll join us for all three. Hopefully you don't just stop at today's episode. You might no. come back next week. Yes. So in summary, we need our pre-approval for a mortgage broker or at least in process before we start going to look at open homes. We really need a strategy for an investor and we may even seek that out from a professional such as a buyer's agent. And then we're making sure, oh, actually, one thing we didn't touch on, we need to make sure on the same page if we are a couple buying. We haven't mm. sort of touched on that. I think it's taken as a given that that would be the case, but you really, particularly when that strategy piece comes into play, you need to make sure you're on the same page. And if you're home buying, certainly understanding the middle ground because I don't think I've ever met a couple who want the exact same thing in a property. No. Uh, well, I don't see it as much, but I'm sure you would because – as you said, they've got to live in it. But I think if we went right back to the start of this uh, recording, it would be in the mindset piece, wouldn't it? True. To, to cover off on, right, we're ready to buy a property. Are we on the same page to understand what that's going to be? Exactly. Um, now, we may get into the process and then veer off with our different <laughs> thoughts, and I'm sure you're a, a good counsellor at bringing them back together. Counsellor number one, buyer's <laughs> advocate number two. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, if you're going and doing this all by yourself, you need to make sure that you you are on the same page if it is with someone else, absolutely. And and you're not dragging that person along just because that's what you want either. Indeed. Mm. So I think that recaps today's episode in a nutshell. Yes. The only thing I'd finish off on before we start the search is... I'd, from a research point of view for investment, and you might want to do it with Owner Rock as well, is to get yourself a, an Excel spreadsheet or, or something that allows you to take some notes on what your strategy is and what your location might be and the research you've got around what to buy, when to buy, how to buy it, and, and just put this document together that you can refer back to. 
And and like a business plan, if if someone from outer space come and looked at that document, they could clearly see what it is that you're after, and and it's not just a, a bundled mess that <laughs> doesn't allow you to go in and and search with confidence. Yeah, indeed, good thing to refer back to as well. If you feel that you're veering off track, you can always refer back to yeah, that. Absolutely. Mm. Rightio. Well. I think that's covered off most of what we were hoping for today. Like I said, I said to John this morning, I think we need to break it down into a couple of episodes for those who are in a position where they're about to buy a property. Mm -hmm. So stick around for next week, which will be part two, which is actually the searching for the property. Yes, exciting bit. Things to look out for inspections, what to say to agents, all the juicy goss you need to know for that part of the process. So we'll be back next week for part two. Sounds good. Thanks for tuning in. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And if you're a first home buyer, I have the course just for you. Everything from pre-approval all the way through into your settlement and everything in between. How to place an offer, how to bid at auction, what to even look for at an open home and what questions to ask the agents. It's all covered in my online course. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.